And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Peter Burfind. He's a campus pastor at the University of Toledo. He also participates in missionary activity with the Missouri Synod in helping people and mercy works and that sort of thing. Peter, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you for having me on. It's a joy to be on. Somehow I came across your name. Perhaps there was a book or whatever, um, but you have written a book called Gnostic America, a reading of contemporary American culture and religion according to Christianity's oldest heresy. And that looks like a really neat book. I'm wondering if you can tell us, get us started a little bit. What is this all about, Gnostic America? Well, Gnosticism goes back to an ancient heresy in the Christian Church, which denied the centrality and denied the the importance of matter and materiality and physicality. And they denied that God became human flesh. This goes back to uh, 1 John several times in, in John's epistles where he actually defines the Antichrist as the one who denies that Christ has come in the flesh. And there's, there's a whole, that opens up the door into a lot of other areas, but it gets back into creation theology. When God created the world, he divvied the world up into all the, the distinct entities that the world is created in, and, and he named them, and that's another important thing, he gave names to them. Everything's got a name, everything's got its own existence, that God has given his life to. And, and the Gnostics denied that, they rejected all that, because they say, fundamentally, we are all one. And it's only when this, this God, this Old Testament God, began dividing everything up, that's when the fall began to happen, when this unity, this oneness, this collective, this what they call the pleroma, fell into disunity and fell into disintegration and fell into all the individualistic properties. And so what they say is that you as an individual are a spark of this unity trapped in a particular individual body, and your whole goal of salvation, the whole purpose of your life is to be liberated, to, be, to break free from the shackles of your individualizing flesh and return back to the one. And Christ, in fact, was the first to do this. He was the one that showed us the way how to escape the flesh and return back to the one, or what they'd call the Father or whatever. And that happened with him when he was on the cross. Just before he died, he left the body, the flesh, and he returned back to the one. So Gnosticism throughout history has always kind of followed, has always shadowed the Church as sort of a doppelganger of the Church, as a counter-Christianity. And it always has been a, a movement which has denied the importance of sacraments in the life of the Church. You know, the Church sets up the body and blood of Christ as, as the means by which we connect with God, and, and, you know, the Gnostics deny the body and blood. They say that the flesh is, is not central to salvation. They deny the importance of doctrine and, and systematic thought. Um, they tend to be very informal because it's all about the feelings of the heart. It's not about... Uh, formal rituals, you know, it's all about the heart and where the heart's at. So they, they, they always put the focus on what's going on on inside. Well, as I studied this topic, you realize that it's basically, I mean, we can talk about the political angle in a bit, but um, basically Gnosticism has become what I call the atheist religion. It's a way of having a religion without having to acknowledge God. Because, in fact, Gnostics do deny the God of this world. What we would call God the Father, or the creator of this world, they reject that God. Mm-hmm. And so they would claim, oh, we don't believe in God, we reject God, we don't believe in Him. But ultimately, they do believe in a God. I mean, 
the left, you know, results in some of the most dogmatic, religiously fervorous, um, feverishly fervorish um, type of people on the planet right now. You know, they, they have a dogma, they have a, a belief, and what, what's going on with Donald Trump right now as president is heresy in their mind, and they can't stand it because their religion centered on setting up government as as a substitute for religion. And so if you'd like to talk about the political angle, we can go into that. Yeah. Well, this is fascinating. And um, the, this Gnostic heresy, how early in our history, recorded history, did it begin? It, it goes, I mean, I would argue it goes, I, like I said, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Um, you know, you can be God. I mean, you don't, you don't need God. You can cut yourself off from the source of the Creator, and, you know, you yourself are are yourself, you know, capital S-E-L-F, are your own God. But in the, you know, if you look at it more uh, historically and, and textually where it kind of falls, and it's usually in about the first century, um, it's got roots in Platonism, especially Neoplatonism. Mm-hmm. It's got roots in some Eastern mystical thought, um, Orpheism in, in the ancient world. It's got a lot of roots, but it really became a powerful force against the Church in about the second century. You know, you you hear today of people's, um, it's more popular now in the past 10, 20 years, I'm spiritual, they might say. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I, I'm seeking after some kind of a spirituality, and as a Christian, I look at that and I say, yeah, um, you're spiritual because because God has made you in his image, however, you've rejected the triune God of the scriptures. Right. And so you've substituted a false god in its place because you have no choice. You are irrevocably a religious being. Right. So something has to fill that that, that space, it seems. Yes, and that's exactly it. I mean, something will always fill it. Yeah, the whole phrase is, I'm spiritual but not religious. Yes. You know, I can have a connection to God, but don't tell me I have to do it through a church or through a doctrine or through a you know, the baptism or communion or yeah. whatever, you know, this is something I just mean God, you know, it's just me and God. Yeah, yeah. The, the self alone with God. And what that does is it cuts out the middleman, which is Christ and his church. Right. And it cuts out the middleman because those Christ is, I mean, I always like to propose it this way. If you're a leper and you need salvation and Christ is walking through, where are you going to find your salvation? It's going to be located, contoured by that person named Jesus, framed by his flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to the right of that, you won't get your, your salvation. If you go to the left of that, you won't get your salvation. You've got to go to that person, that flesh and blood person named Jesus. Well, that continues today with the, the Word and Sacrament Ministry of the Church. The, the Word and Sacrament Ministry of the Church gives the contours of where the sinner needs salvation, and that is what religion is. That's what, you know, what it means to mm-hmm. be, you know, to, to, to have a religion, to belong to a faith and all that all that. You know, uh, people our age, I'm older than you, but we were brought up to think that the word religion is like a bad word. You don't want to use yeah. that word. You want to use um, evangelical word or, or you know, the Christian word. And, of course, all these are good. But religion itself is not a bad word when no. it's it's the true religion. Actually, the scriptures even use the it's word. Absolutely. True religion is this, to take care of widows and orphans. I mean, That's it. And, and the, way they mean it, the way they mean it today is... You know, all religion is legalism because it tells you you have right. to believe this or you must be baptized. I mean, but the simple fact is, is yeah, it is illegal. <laughs> in, in that understanding of legalism, you can't find salvation outside of Christ. So, 
they they see that as well. You're putting constraints on God, or yes. as one person once told me, you're you know when you when you argue something according to the Scripture, well, you're you're binding God to the grammar of Scripture. Well, he bound himself to the grammar of Scripture. He bound himself to Christ. <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 best representation uh, we have now is is the scriptures it it paints the the perfect picture of Christ so we can know right. him better and by his spirit he takes those scriptures and he socks them home to our hearts right and that is that is so important you know we're we're in union with Christ the holy spirit brings this word alive to us yep. and we live out our life talk about a miracle now that is a miracle well and and, and if you look at it if you break i say the holy spirit is a teacher He's a grammar- grammarian. Is that the right word? Grammarian. He, he, you know, he gets into the nuts and bolts of of doctrine, and he gets into the nuts and bolts. And he he's a divider. For you know, the spirit hovered over the chaos and void of the of the creation, and he began dividing things, right? Separating the light from the darkness, separating, and I mean, divvying things up so that we can have understanding. And, and that's what theology is. That's what. That's what spirituality is, but now yeah. spirituality is seen as the reverse. It's like, and and I like the light dark contrast. You know, the light. You turn a light on, and you can see the distinction. You can see all the individual properties of things. It's in the dark where everything kind of fades into a universalistic blur. And now spiritualism is the opposite, where oh, spiritualism means we're all, we're one with all the religions, and we don't get caught mm. up into names and differences. We're all one. And the light is seen as evil because oh, that's where you you start to see the differences. Yeah. Now you're um, you you're a campus pastor, University of Toledo. Before we get to the next phase of the discussion, that is um, government and you know people's involvement in politics and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, you must see uh, an interesting. I don't know. I want to say a spirit on campus, unless it's a Christian school. It is not. Oh, okay. So so that's quite a challenge for you, is it not? Well, the, the funny thing is, is Toledo is a very, it's a very nuts and bolts uh, university. I don't run into a lot of the wackiness you see on some of the other campuses. Right. Um, it's heavily into engineering and nursing. Ah. So it's kind of, you know, salt of the earth type occupations and all that. So I get a lot of engineers, and engineers totally get it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because they understand the importance of, if you're going to have a bridge that's going to work, you have to care about the individual properties. You've got to care about the elements of creation and the physical, the physicality that's so important because of, if you don't pay attention to it, your bridge will flop. So they, when I when I get into theology and kind of deal with it the same way, they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I like this. Yeah, it does. It really does. Yeah, that was my background too because I, I went the technical route and and then eventually engineering and it kind of kept me from a lot of the junk. A lot of the baggage. Although in public school, I got a lot of baggage, but mm-hmm. um, fortunately. By Christ's mercies, he placed me in a Christian home. Yeah. Um, but the the technical, or like you say, the nursing is predominantly you're focusing on the real world stuff, and yeah. it keeps yeah. you from all this nonsense. Um, so let's talk a little bit about another faith, mm-hmm. uh, not the Christian faith, but a faith in that you describe here in your book, Gnostic America, um, this yeah. contemporary American culture and religion. I think I see some of it. Uh, we live close to, I can say it over there, Woodstock. Yeah. And, you know, you go into Woodstock, and you see some very, very unusual stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe uh, New Paltz, or maybe Rosendale, or whatever. But wow. anyway, we live and move and have our being in these places, and we don't want to curse the darkness, but we do want to bring forth the light of Christ. So can you help right. us understand 
what is the frustration going on right now in public discussion? I see a lot of violence. Uh, what's going on? Yeah. Well, violence, as I, as I wrote in my article, is, is salvific in the Gnostic camp. Now, at first, when you talk to Gnostics, oh, they're just about peace. We're strangers in this world, and we're trying to escape. But throughout history, very often and frequently, Gnosticism has devolved into violence. And the word is iconoclasm. Because for the Gnostic, the world that we live in is a prison house. And, you know, as you grow up, you think that, oh, I'm just living an existence in this world. And, oh, I got to obey my parents. I got to follow the rules of the, of the highway, so to speak. I mm-hmm. have to live in this empire, live in this land, wherever. And when you, when you become woke, which is truly a Gnostic term, you realize that you're free from this world. You're not bound by anything here. So all these rules, you can just shatter and break. Mm-hmm. So throughout history, Gnostics have always you know, sort of shattered the understanding of marriage. They've shattered gender understanding, gender distinctions, because that's just an arbitrary distinction. Uh. They've often shattered the, the notion of private property. You know, why should, you know, why should you tell me that your land is, I can't be part of that land, or why should there be borders between my land and your land? And it, it just generally breaks down the, the things that, that, like I said, got divvied up. Mm-hmm. It blurs all those distinctions, all the things that are outlined in the Ten Commandments. It blurs those distinctions. You know, the honoring of authority and parents, it blurs sure. the honoring of life itself. You know, why, you know suicide is the next uh, civil right. Uh, you know, just read an article today about how, you know, it's your right to, to commit suicide. Why, why should you have life be forced to be here? Yes, yes. So it's a... Uh, so that being, you know, fighting against that, and you know, Trump winning was a, a triumph of of the ruling archons or the powers that be in the Gnostic worldview, and and your your personal salvation requires that rebel against that mm-hmm. violently if need be. That's fascinating. Um, yeah, I was taken by surprise um, by the amount of angst among the party that didn't win. And uh, I've felt personal angst myself before, but I I would not, um, you know, bash cars or or windows right. or or you know kill people. Actually, we've seen killings now taking place. Yeah, uh, that is totally out of line. Right. But perhaps um, what you're pointing out here it's it's consistent with this new religion, with this old religion. Absolutely. Now you also minister to people. You go out into the field. You just don't sit around and write books. You actually put feet to the ground, uh, consistent with not having a Gnostic faith. Right. Um, and, and tell us a little bit about the mercy ministries that you've been involved with. Yeah, it's, I, I, that's one area where I'm finding a fascinating kind of, and I, I never thought or how God would bring all these different facets of my interest and my vocational call together. I mean, you know, up until I published a book about three years ago, I mean, I was, you know, working on Gnosticism, and everything was Gnosticism, Gnosticism, Gnosticism. But then, you know, I kind of got put into the situation working in an inner city, and you sort of realize this is the results of a Gnostic worldview. Right. Not only Gnostic politics, but also just sort of Gnostic spirituality, this sort of not caring or denial of the importance of the flesh, the importance of physical things, and this sort of devolution of of order and 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 things place where they're supposed to be into this sort of chaos. I mean, it could be something as simple as you know someone waking up in the morning and deciding they just want to escape into a a fantastical realm watching TV all day rather than go out and pick their weeds and you know throw a few nails in their front porch to fix it. 
um, you know, and, and then slowly the, the external world begins to dissolve, literally. I mean, that's the inner city, that's inner city blight. Meanwhile, the person on the inside is, is kind of captivated into this other realm through drugs or video games or TV or whatever, and you realize that's, that's the ministry there. That's the, I mean, you've got to teach the life skill of saying, hey, get outside of your little world, get outside of your, your, your self-needs, and, you know, get back engaged in the real world. Well, one of the great blessings of our ministry is we've connected with a, a jobs retraining program. A lot of the, uh, the uh, manufacturers in Toledo, it's a heavy manufacturing town, they're moving over to automation, mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people. Oh, robots are are taking our jobs. Well, no, they're not. What it's doing is bringing jobs back to America <laughs> because robotic labor is cheaper than Mexican and Chinese. Labor. That's right. That's right. So someone's got to take care of these robots, and they need high high skilled, high tech labor. Oh yeah. You know some of these robots or some of these lines in Toledo, they're they're losing thirty three thousand dollars a minute when their line goes down. Wow. So to have a tech that's able to get that line running as soon as possible. Um, you know, is 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 critical. So there's a retraining program right in the middle of Toledo, connected to the University of Toledo, that that's just begging for for people. And uh, part of our ministry, we just canvassed the other day, 600 houses, and you know, like all day yesterday and the last few days, I've been getting calls about, um, you know, getting, being part of this this program. So I'm really excited about that. And mm. and and I, and I just tell people, I mean, people in the inner city, they won't work. They desperately want work. That's right. So a lot of times, though, they just need the the life skills to be able to, you know, get through and, and hold down a job, and that's where our ministry comes in. Yes. So at a high level, Christ has changed your heart. Mm-hmm. You you've become a child of God, and He's given you His Word to follow, and you're flushing it out, um, yeah. as we can say in the real world, and helping people. I think that's wonderful. Right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun ministry. We uh, got maybe a few minutes left yet. Um, mm-hmm. When we tried to contact each other and get lined up for the interview today, this is very interesting. Uh, one of the emails was um, that you were in a VBS in the afternoon, and so um, you know you're, you're very time constrained. Um, you got another radio <laughs> interview at noon, but it's interesting that you mentioned VBS because um, the article that led me to look you up. Uh, was published um, on the Federalist, okay, right. and and interestingly, this is fascinating. That the name of the article was "How Vacation Bible School <laughs> Drove Millennials Away from the Church." You know, and here you are working in VBS. Can you help us understand what your point was there, and and encourage those VBS workers, basically, quote, how to do it right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was a bit ironical. I mean, I wrote the article about a month ago, and it, got, it goes in right when I'm doing VBS. I thought, okay, I've got to deal with some of these ironies here. And, 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 I mean, part of it was, you know, I was blessed to have the article written because I, I write VBSs, so sure. it's kind of shilling for my materials there. And so I'm not against VBS at all. I think it's no. a great outreach tool. Um, well, it's a great tool to introduce people to Christ. The problem is that, and this has been one of my big bugaboos, and also one of the big reasons I wrote the book in the first place is that I believe that as Christians adopt popular culture and popular media as a medium to, to spread the message of Christ, I think that introduces, you know, in the Lutheran Church we talk about catechism. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the catech- true catechism of Christ is centered on Scripture, 
on the basic doctrines of the Christian faith, and you teach it. But but people say, well, we got to present that in a more entertaining way. we got to do it in a way that gets kids excited about it or whatever. Well, what happens is the, the pop culture medium becomes the catechist. And so what people are internalizing is not the the message, the core message, but what they're internalizing is that Christianity is just another goofy caricature or a cartoon that you grow out of. So at my my VBS material, which is poxdominipress.com, <laughs> um, our, our motto is give kids something or give children something to grow into, not mm-hmm. grow out of. Yes. And I think we've been we've been doing that with, with a lot of the entertainment, a lot of the you know, presenting everything with these pop ditties and and goofy can music. I mean, teach the faith, teach the hymns of the church, yeah. teach the substance, teach the doctrine. Kids, kids crave that stuff. You'd yeah. be amazed at at these kids. Oh, it's been so fun, such a fun week. I mean, these are kids that have never heard of the resurrection, never heard of who Christ is, don't know what the cross is, and you introduce it to them, and all they want to talk is theology. <laughs> We're talking like six year old kids. That's great, and it, it's just a beautiful thing. Yes, yeah, so some of your uh, subheadings. One was uh, selling religion like it's popcorn, <laughs> yeah. or th- or this one, glitzing God's word up implies something's wrong with it. Oh, that's a profound. Yeah. That's a profound truth right there. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but like you said before, the Holy Spirit works through the Word, and He doesn't need our help. I mean, give people the Word. I mean, obviously you got to. I mean, and this is where the slippery slope comes. You have to inculture it. I guess you got. You can't you know, speak in Latin, but you know. But that doesn't imply <laughs> we should just use. You know, when Paul was preaching to the prostitutes, he didn't become a prostitute. <laughs> no, so true. You know, or, so true. Yeah, so so much we could talk about. Um, another headline here: Pop culture does cheap so much better than Jesus yeah. does. I didn't come up with that. The editors did, and I thought that was great. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, just a final thought here: we we got into this whole thing talking about Gnosticism <laughs> and how it's it's very much uh, a religion now. Uh, always mm-hmm. has been. Um, mm-hmm. it, you can't have. <laughs> Um, you you can't have that and Jesus. It's either Jesus or that. It's not. It cannot right. be both. Can you can you help us understand that better? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, because Gnosticism is the anti-Christian religion, and it, it's what Christ is warning about when he said, "Beware many false Christ." I mean, look at look at how Christ sets things up. He says, "You know, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence. The four horsemen of the apocalypse will be." here until I return. Just sort of, you know, just for for a warning. You know, these bad things, poverty, famine, and war, will be going on until I return. So, and basically, let's let's update what he says. So if anybody comes along promising a utopian ideology that will solve these problems, be highly skeptical of them. (laughs) Because that's what a false Christ is. It's someone who's going to come and say, hey, you don't have to wait for Christ. This is the communist Marxist idea. You, you shouldn't wait for Christ. You should expect that you can have your salvation now, imminently. Right now, the, the eschaton can, can be manifest right now. And, and political messiahs will promise that. And, mm. and, you can, and that's why how it becomes a political religion. Politics can be the means by which you can have your kingdom of God on earth right now. Mm. And that, that is the anti-Christian message. That is what Christ is warning about when he warned about false Christ. And I just find it interesting that he, he said that right on the heels of uh, talking about the war, pestilence, and famine, which gets to another thing that I think the fourth horseman, the white one, a lot of mm-hmm. people say it's conquering Christ. I think it's the Antichrist, mm. because I think that always goes hand-in-hand hand with uh, um, the war, pestilence, and famine, and then the 
the person claiming that, oh, well, I'll end all those things, that would be the false Christ. Hmm. Well, very interesting. It's a delight to talk with you today. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for calling me, Sam. Peter Burfind, and thank you so much for fitting us in. And if a person wants to get a hold of a copy of her book, uh, where do they go to get it? Uh, just go to Amazon, Gnostic America. Just remember, it's G-N-O-S-T-I-C. You know, Gnostic with the begins with a G. But Amazon, it's there. And you can also check out Pax Domini Press, all one word, dot com, and you can see some of my the VBS material. I also sell the book there. Yeah. And uh, and anybody interested in supporting our ministry too, that would be that would be awesome. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> my whole life is one of begging for stuff. <laughs> yeah, I believe me. Life of a missionary. <laughs> we know how that goes here at Redeemer. <laughs> Peter Burfine, thank you so much for joining us, and the Lord bless you, brother, and. May he cause your work to prosper. Thank you, Dan, so much. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.